Welcome back to Hot Takes Only, folks. This is your co-host. This is one one of your hosts, anyways. I'm Owen. He's Willie. This is Hot Takes Only. We're going to talk about sports. Willie, you ready to talk about sports? No, I'm not ready. (laughs) Always ready to talk about sports. So, as I was saying, uh, for folks joining on the live stream who noticed this before I kind of had to insert a cut here or there, uh, do you know what day it is? September 17th, 2020. Uh, Do you know what happened on September September 17th, 2020, Willie? Do you know what happened today? Huh. Because it, it seems that a certain Brazilian soccer player of Spanish nationality who plays for the Spain national team uh, agreed to a deal, both his club and Liverpool FC, uh, agreed to a deal to join Liverpool FC for the 2020-2021 season. And playing in the game on, on Sunday. So no, he, he won't be playing on Sunday, and I honestly doubt he'll play against Arsenal uh, in two weeks' time. Um, or I, I guess a week's time from this weekend. I can't believe it's already, it's already Thursday, which is crazy. I think he could play that game. Yeah, he could probably play that game, but still. The important thing is this, folks. Thiago is, hasn't been announced officially, but he is, for all intents and purposes, a Liverpool player. He's going to wear the same number, number six. He's probably going to play that position. The deep-lying playmaker, he's going to be able to add a little bit of a, another dimension to Liverpool, if you will. And that's something that, in defense of their first Premier League, tit- first Premier League title and first top-flight title in 30 years, uh, it's going to be invaluable. And Sunday's game, you know, Frank Lampard is going to set up his team to win. Thiago is not going to be part of it. But you know going forward in the reverse fixture that Tiago is most likely, barring injury or unforeseen circumstances in the future, going to be part of that game. And he's going to be part of a big part of their challenge for the title. And I, for one, am so excited to see him play in the Premier League for, uh, for the very first time. So on, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being great, how great a signing do you think this is? About a 420. I mean, this is this is an incredible signing, I think, for Liverpool. You, you look at the players that Liverpool currently have on on their roster in midfield. You look at Jordan Henderson, who is a typical box-to-box midfielder, but not great technically. His his passing ability is good, but he doesn't have the, the sort of ball skills uh, of, of Thiago. Uh, Fabinho, same sort of deal. More of a defensive-minded player, great in the tackle. Uh, has a great shot on him, has a good delivery, ta- a good penalty taker as well. He's an all-around good player. But again, not really the ball skill, not that type of player. Jorginho Wijnaldum, same exact thing, hardworking box-to-box midfielder. Technically good, but not what you would ex- expect uh, or what you would imagine for someone like Thiago. And the list goes on and on. There's there's no one, I think, in, in Europe who has uh, a kind of similar flair that Thiago has just with the ball. I mean, he I feel like just from watching him play a little bit, he reminds me a little bit of a a smaller, um, slightly faster version of Xabi Alonso. And I tweeted out, I think it, it was this morning or it, one of my friends' group chats, uh, I tweeted, this is the second coming of Xabi Alonso. And wow. honestly, uh, if it works out that way, uh, Liverpool are a scary proposition front to back. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit it spot on. Um, his, his passing is great. And yeah. Um, you know, I think that when you look at the Liverpool midfield, you know, I think Klopp still has Oxlade-Chamberlain, who can play kind of in an advanced position, and at times, you know, he looks really good. But over, I don't think he's been able to produce, you know, consistent offense from that position. And I definitely agree. I think Thiago, with his passing, 
Um, and he, you know, he can assist some too. Will add a, a huge dimension to the midfield. Um, and I also think that, you know, perhaps, you know, even bigger than even just how good he is. I mean, just the fact he's going to freshen up the squad, add, you know, maybe add a little fire, some motivation, maybe some fresh legs. You know, um, I think this is an awesome signing. Yeah, I think top to bottom, you really couldn't do. Uh, you couldn't do much better in terms of what's on the market and especially what uh, the pandemic has done to most clubs financially. Obviously, Chelsea is one that have they have the benefit, and we're going to talk about Chelsea in a little bit. They have the benefit of being able to spend money um, more, I, w- I don't want to say recklessly, but their spending isn't directly as tied to um, their revenue and their balance sheets as it is at other clubs. Them and, and Manchester City and PSG. Uh, basically, they just have a lot of money and they're they're willing to spend it. And that's a luxury that every club wishes they would have because every club wants to be able to attract the best players. You want to compete for the biggest titles in the world. You want to compete for Champions Leagues. You want to compete for Premier Leagues. Uh, and the way to do it is sometimes to strengthen your squad. But in other words, with Klopp, it's picking your spots and being creative with your transfers. I mean, Thiago is not a player who fits the Liverpool mold when it comes to buying young unrefined talent and turning them into world-class talents it's more so buying an established world-class product he's a champions league winner he's a a multiple bundesliga winner multiple german cup winner uh and he he's got just an insane technical ability on the ball that i think is going to benefit liverpool so they they add another dimension to what is already a pretty scary attacking team yeah, I mean, I think he, he is a really – he's a great example of a kind of player that Klopp can take that's a good player and make him even better. And, you know, I think we saw with Bayern Munich, he's gotten better on the defensive side, and I think Klopp can just get the absolute maximum out of him. And yeah. um, and you're absolutely right. He adds a, another dimension to the team. And, you know, I think that just what it can do for the team – I think one thing that was so impressive about Liverpool last year was just, you know, they were so remarkably consistent. And you, you think that if the the fire isn't there and the defensive intensity from the press and just the protection for the defense in the midfield, that, you know, they might concede a few more goals than they did last season. And Thiago not only will add some fresh legs, but will add some balance and, and they can score a few more. So mm-hmm. I, I, think it's, I think it's an, it's a, it's a, a Klopp kind of player. And like you said, like for a reasonable price, you know, this, this, the uh, Henry's, they're very careful, but to their credit, the, they've made really good investments. And I think he's no different. Yeah. John Henry and uh, Michael Edwards, the sporting director for Liverpool doing uh, the absolute best job they can in getting the best price uh, in terms of what the, uh, the quality they're getting uh, on the flip side of this. This also does mean that the exit door is probably going to be looming for either Georgina Wijnaldum, who's has yet to agree to another contract or to 18 or 19 year old Rian Brewster. Uh, I can't remember how the top of my head how old he is, but he's, he's young. He's a young prospect. Uh, and there's been rumors of him signing a deal with Sheffield United uh, with a buyback clause for Liverpool. So they can effectively send him out on a loan. That's he's still, he's not part of the club anymore, but if he's effectively alone because they can, they can buy him back for a certain price. And that I think would be the ideal scenario. If they do have to sell a player, if they can keep Brewster in the squad or get him enough minutes somewhere else on loan, not actually selling him. That'd be ideal. I know I said last week in our pre our preview episode that, um, 
I didn't see a world in which both Tiago and Wijnaldum are going to be on the same team. And we still have a couple of weeks until the end of the window, which closes on October 5th, I think, is the Premier League window. So there's still time for this to, to change. Wijnaldum very, very well could leave. And, you know, whether or not he does, that's to be determined. But I think right now this Liverpool squad has more than enough top to bottom to compete for the title again. And you look at the teams that are most likely trying to challenge them or are going to give them the biggest threat outside of the Manchester City uh, is, Willie, your favorite team, Chelsea. So with that said, I'm going to hand it over to you to give us the spiel on how you thought uh, two of Chelsea's bright, young, uh, up-and-coming superstars played, uh, newly acquired from the Bundesliga uh, in Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that... um... I was very actually encouraged by the performance. And, uh, you know, my first thought actually came back to, you'd said at one point that Lampard's Chelsea kind of reminded you of of Klopp's Liverpool and their progression from that first to second season. And, I mean, even though what I saw, what I saw in that game was, obviously, you know, the team looked a little disjointed. They were sloppy. You know, Brighton actually got a lot of hold of the ball, which was surprised us. But, you know, the offense will come. I'm not really worried about the offense, and I think that'll just take time to gel. What I was impressed with was actually the defensive balance. I thought, you know, if not for a goalkeeper error again, you know, perhaps we would have kept a clean sheet. And overall, it just looked like, um, you know, the team was a little bit more compact. They were disciplined. You know, um, Loftus, you know, uh, Jorginho and Conte kind of just sat back in front of the back four. So I was very encouraged from the team um, going forward. You know, I, I don't think, I think it's going to take a lot of parts to gel, but overall, I, I, I do think that the team, I was very encouraged by the first, first performance. Yeah, no, I I would tend to agree uh, for the most part. I thought I thought Timo Werner played well um, relative to what I think he's going to bring. I mean, this is this is me personally. I have my own takes on Timo Werner, but this, this just comes from me uh, understanding football the way that I do. Um, but I think Kai Havertz is going to be one of those players who, um, if if given the right situations, which I think Lampard's Chelsea will allow him to do, he could be one of the best players in the history of the Premier League. I think he has oh, he's he he reminds me a lot of when Mike Trout came up in Major League Baseball. You couldn't necessarily find a flaw in his game. I mean, you could nitpick here or there, but on the whole, Havertz has every tool that you need in the English. He's a t- he's tall. He's good in the air. He can get physical. Box to box player can win the ball back. Can create for his team. He has everything you need out of a true box to box midfielder, and he can play all over the front line as well. He's not just a one dimensional player. He can, he can run up from as as deep as a number six type role, and and power and headers just because he has that kind of height and he has that ability and he has that quickness. So from watching him in the Bundesliga, I was very surprised. Um, shout out to our boy Mike Casamano real quick. We joined us in the chat. Mike, what's up? Good to see you. Good to have you. Um, Kai Havertz, I think, could be one of the greatest players in the history of the Premier League, if given the right situations. You mentioned all those great attributes, but what do you think could make him that good? We're talking about as good as you're saying. What is the difference for him? I think it's just uh, setting realistic expectations and understanding that he's younger than both of us. I think he's 21. He's still very young. There's still a long time for him to develop. Uh, injuries could potentially be a big part of it. You don't wish on anyone, but that's obviously a factor in the longevity of players' careers. 
but he's just one of those guys who has, in my view, all of the tools necessary to be one of the best. And he has them at such a young age that the more he continues to develop and get playing time and understand this is how you play at the highest level in the best league in the world, then I think he'll he'll mature to the point where he is one of the top players, not just in the Premier League, but in the world. And the, the quote-unquote big boys from around Europe will be uh, keeping their eye on him. Uh, the Real Madrid's, the Barcelona's, the Bayern Munich's, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play for Bayern at some point in his career if if he doesn't win a boatload of trophies at Chelsea, which is entirely possible. Wow, that makes me super excited. You know, I I mean, yeah, I think, you know, definitely uh, what I'm very curious about and maybe a little worried about is he's definitely, you're right, in, in my watching too, I echo a lot of what you're saying. Um, I just hope that, you know, Lampard manages him correctly. I think... I was very extremely impressed with his man management last year. And he seemed to, with a lot of young players, understand the buttons to push and uh, to when to play them, when to sit them, where to play, eventually finding their best positions and, and pushing them and kind of holding them on a tight leash to make sure that they, they try hard. Um, with so many options this year, I hope that, you know, um, he gets to play in his preferred position, probably number 10, or an advanced midfield position, and there's not too much expected of him right away. I mean, I was a little surprised that, A, they threw him in there after four days training, I think it was, and he played on the right. Um, I know Loftus-Cheek's a really good player. Um, and so I hope that, you know, Lampard is not going to, you know, if he gets off to a little bit of a slow start, I hope he's not going to expect too much of him, him right away um, because I think that that's, you know, what – if he, if he thrusts him into a role that's too soon, too much quickly, and, you know, he's talked about how much the price tag, how much kind of pressure that leads to, you know, you never know what can happen. Yeah, no, and that's that's what uh, I was kind of alluding at with, kind of learning to set realistic expectations. I think the one thing that Lampard has to get absolutely right is he has to manage not only his expectations and the club's expectations, but also how to help Kai Havertz manage his own expectations for what he wants to be with his career. Uh, I do think he has the potential to be one of the best the league has ever seen just off a, even a small ish sample size that we got from the Bundesliga, but he's shown that he can compete at the highest level. He can score goals. He can create, he can do everything you require of a player. Who's not typically, you know, he won't play center back. I don't think, I mean, unless he is one of those Swiss Army Knife type players. Um, but you have to think that he's going to be a very effective player for as long as he plays for Chelsea. Uh, you know, obviously barring the the unforeseeables uh, in his future. I want to shift over to the other big signing from che- for Chelsea from the Bundesliga because I have I have my thoughts about Timo Werner. Uh, I want to let, Willie, I want to let you talk about his debut against Brighton first, uh, and then I'll, I'll get to my uh, my thoughts, which you and I and uh, the the Arsenal boys have discussed extensively. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that it's going to be, I think it's a lot of kind of what we've been talking about in terms of, I think in the first game, you really saw a lot of what Werner brings, but could also be his downfall. I mean, you know, Brighton was playing very aggressively. They were playing with a high line. They were playing with possession. And so there was so much space for Werner to run in behind. And I think we saw a few times as a Chelsea fan exciting where, a couple times, Havertz got the ball and played in behind the Werner, and Werner so pat, you know, 
fast and good off the dribble, and he's always playing on the, the shoulder or right on the edge of the defenders. And so if you play a high line or give him space, you know, he's going to be very dangerous. And, you know, you also saw, you know, he drew a penalty kick. You know, he, he is good when he gets good chances in the box. He can finish, and we've seen his good, you know, goal-scoring record. Um, I mean, there is, like you said, there is those concerns of, Chelsea have guys who can cross the ball, but against the set defense, is he going to be able to finish off crosses when everybody's tight? I'm not sure, but I mean, I think it was a really good start to the game. Yeah, no, I, I thought he played well. Um, I thought, I mean, relative to what I believe his his ceiling is, and this is this is not a knock on him specifically. I, I just believe it's it's the kind of player he's turned into, and this is not a knock. Obviously, he's he's shown he's a proven goal scorer everywhere he's been. Um, but the reason I wanted to bring him up and, you know, people might think that since I'm a Liverpool fan, I'm kind of butthurt that he didn't sign for Liverpool, that he went to, to Lampard's Chelsea instead. But really what I want to get at is even if he signed for Liverpool, number one, he wouldn't have been a starter. He would not have knocked any of the front three off the starting position. He was more, he would be more a, uh, a bit of depth to the squad and he would compete with Salah and Mane and, and for me don't have them raise their game, um, on days when, Klopp decides he needs to give one of those front three a rest because they can't play every game every season. He knows that. Klopp knows yeah. Klopp knows that. His coaching staff knows that. They know that. They know they can't play every game. They want to. I mean, I'm sure all the best all the best footballers, Willie, you can probably attest to this. You probably wanted to play every single game, every minute of every game. But that's just not realistic in, in a player's career, especially the the way that those front three work. So I don't think he would have started at Liverpool. The other side is Chelsea, I think, is a good fit for him. The issue is the issue is going to be, and this is why I keep comparing Lampard's Chelsea to, to Klopp's Liverpool in the very beginning, is that they were great against teams that played against them, that played, that opened up and played expansive football, that tried to possess and try to have the ball. Where they struggled was the opposite. When you get a team that puts all ten men, plus obviously the goalkeeper, all ten men behind the ball, and defend for ninety minutes. When that happens. Timo Werner is not the kind of player who's going to make a difference in tight spaces because his his strength is really running in behind the back line. And when he can't do that, he's effectively resorted to passing it backwards and just occupying space in the box. That's what I've seen from from watching him play both the 2018 World Cup and the Bundesliga. He's obviously he scored what 18 goals in the Bundesliga, maybe even more. I think 28 goals in the Bundesliga last season. Mid-20s. Yeah, I think it was 28, actually. 28 goals in the Bundesliga alone, which is a fantastic number and would have been top scorer in the league if a certain Robert Lewandowski didn't score like 55 goals this calendar year or whatever this season, whatever it was. So some stupid number of goals. Um, with with Werner, I think he can he can train that part of his game. He can learn to, to be less than one-dimensional. I mean, that's something finishing in tight spaces. That's something you can train. Um, you can get used to that. And I think he will get better. He's still only 24. He will get better as the season goes on, as he begins to adapt to the English game. But ultimately, I think there is a, there is a, a ceiling for him for the cut, the, what he's going to bring to Chelsea. And unfortunately for, I mean, for Chelsea fans, I, you're probably going to hate me to hate to see this, but I think his ceiling is Jamie Vardy level. And that's a very, very good level. I mean, everyone would hope to have Jay. I mean, Jamie Vardy is a golden boot winner, but right. he's not going to, he's not going to break scoring records. He's not going to, 
He's not going to pour in goals every single game. I could be very wrong about this because I never played the game. I have been a, I've been a pretty new fan, if we're completely honest. Uh, and really, my understanding of football only comes from the last few years. That being said, that's that's my perspective. And, and if you want to fight I, I, me about it. Well, first of me. all, don't undersell yourself, bro. You have a great knowledge of the game. Uh, but I think that, you know, first of all, like you said, yeah, I, a lot of people are, are throwing out the, the Jamie Vardy comparisons, but what I think makes him a really good fit for Chelsea and maybe which you get through those problems. And, you know, you see it um, with Man City, for example, the way they get in behind the defense. Now with Pulisic and Havertz, you've got two guys who cut right, who can play right in the middle of the field and slice open the defense with those balls in behind. And, it really depends on how they want to play, you know. Like, for example, um, you know, Ziyech loves to cross the ball, and that might not be a great fit. Um, but if you have those guys like Mount, make Mount making those driving runs forward, if you play him in the midfield, or if you have Pulisic or Havertz in the middle, and you know, if Werner plays off the back shoulder, getting in behind, you you can, you don't have to be a guy who relies on crosses and making the box. You can. Um, you can do that. You can carve open the defense with those passes, and I think that that is one thing Chelsea could he could do. Um, and then even that, you know, it's like, I mean, now, you know, Jamie Vardy has really progressed in an, in an amazing soccer player, but you know, Werner's already there. I mean, he's what he's done with Leipzig is incredible. So, with this polished finishing ability, if you just give him one sniff of space i mean bang so i mean i i think chelsea's really good fit for him like you said mm-hmm. yeah no che- teams like chelsea uh liverpool obviously manchester city because pep can turn anyone into a world-class player really uh yeah. if given the resources um it it's gonna be an interesting one to watch i think probably one of the more interesting signings we've had in a few years because he is so similar to someone who has had success in the league playing on the counter-attack Jamie Vardy is a gold a golden boot winner, I believe. Yeah. Or he's he's competed for golden boots. He scores goals every season. He's the type of player who's quick. He runs in behind. He creates chances just by being a nuisance and being ever present for uh for a front line for for a team. And that's something you can't really overstate the importance of that. Uh, that said, it's it's a wonder whether or not he he gets it together because I think there was one thing I noticed, and this was obviously a couple of years ago, and he's he's got a couple more seasons with more experience under the belt. But a couple of years ago at the World Cup, uh, when playing for Germany, teams like South Korea and Mexico packed numbers behind the ball. Sweden as well, who I believe made the quarterfinals, or maybe that, no, that was the Euros. Never mind. Um, teams that pack it, pack players behind the ball and make it hard. Uh, he was basically invisible for two of their three group games in the World Cup. And I think as as good as he is running in behind, he does lack that element that can take his game to the next level. That said, that was two years ago, and no one really knows how you know what what has transpired for him personally since then. It could have been a, a variety of things affecting players, and I want to stress that these 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 athletes are people too. They they have regular things that happen to them in their real lives mental illness for example that's a real we've talked about that or i've talked about that at least on on my podcast focusing on sport and society 
but they're people at the end of the day. So we have to take that into consideration. All that said, I think he's a very exciting prospect for Chelsea. We'll see what his ceiling really is and what he can really produce for, for the team. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I do want to say, I, I do think that, you know, the, the, I think that one of the things that can be really cool to watch uh, with Chelsea is just the fluidity that they have up front. I mean, there were times in the game where Werner was kind of dropping back to hold up the ball and they, he'd allow other players to run in behind them. So when you think about, you know, the ZX, the Hudson Doys, the Pulisics running in behind, you know, there are ways where you can counteract that, you know, ability he has to play in that maybe struggles he has against a set defense where it's kind of fluid and it's, it's move, it's movement. He can play like a false nine at times, mm-hmm. you know? So I think I'm, I'm really excited to see that, but yeah. Uh, no, I think I think he he could he could very well. I mean, he's probably going to prove me wrong, but you know that's that's what I think his ceiling is, and I think you you brought up a lot of good points about his his ability to to do more than just you know be really fast. But I do want to I do want to say I think it's really interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned Liverpool. You know, basically passing up the chance to sign him, and I'm so critical what's going to happen to Liverpool this year. Cause you're, you know, you're talking about the not signing Werner um, Brewster, you know, maybe going on loan or, or leaving Liverpool doesn't have, you know, they have some good young players, but for the most part, you know, they're the, the players that are playing are more, a lot of them are, are, you know, getting, getting up there in age or, or late twenties, early thirties. And I'm so curious to see, is this going to be kind of more towards the end of the Klopp project or more a, a, a big ascent? And I think, and it's just interesting because, you know, you talk about passing on Werner, a 24-year-old. You know, Werner could have been there for the next five, six years. And then, you know, if Salah or Mane wanted to leave or they needed some more scoring, could have put in there. But um, we'll, we'll see. I, I think that that was a really – I understand why you wouldn't want to sign him if you're Liverpool, but I'm curious to see what the situation with this project is. Yeah, I think from what I understand from reading way too much uh, on about transfers, I think the only thing that held up the deal from Timo Werner joining Liverpool was the finances that I don't think they just they don't oh. they didn't have enough oh. money to afford him, um, and that's that's not. Um, the club not being able to generate revenue. It's literally John Henry and ownership deciding that uh, wow. in order to balance their sheets and maintain an effective business model, they can't, they can't spend that kind of money on players, which is completely fair to be honest. I mean, we are in a pandemic. People aren't able to go to sporting events. Um, it, it, at least in, in the UK, for some reason they're allowed in the States. Uh, so the revenue streams aren't as consistent and they're not as great as they are pre pandemic. So this is FSG deciding I don't want to spend this kind of money. This is, you know, he, no player is kind of worth that, or we can't kind of justify it right now uh, because they don't, we don't know what, what society is going to look like after the, after the pandemic. We don't know what, what revenue is going to be. I, I have a feeling that nothing's going to change. People are still going to go to matches uh, in, in mass like they did before. Uh, but there's still, you know, there's that added hesitation. I think that, that could impact some, some clubs for sure. Uh, and, you know, have a, have a, don't you know, I, I understand that. I, I totally understand that. And I, a lot of clubs have been hit by the pandemic. And I understand that the Henrys aren't as wealthy as some of these other super clubs. But at the same time, 
you know, you do really got to, if one thing that's true in soccer, you always got to freshen up the squad and, and just make it younger. Mm-hmm. And that's where I, I, you know, a lot of these Liverpool guys are in their prime, but they, they've got to, you know, you passed on a chance to get a young Timo Werner, you know, still very young. And so before you know it, that's what I'm saying. Now they're always in the Champions League and you never know, like if Klopp decided to, you know, leave when he's done, what could happen to the team? And all of a sudden you need to rebuild the team. So, you know, Klopp has talked about, you know, I know he's, you know, he's got a while to the end of his contract, but before he leaves, he wants to, in the past, he said he wants to leave it in a better place for a successor. And I looked at this as, this is almost also building for the future. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was kind of surprised they didn't jump on the chance to splurge the money to sign him. No, that's, that's, that's a fair point. I think, I think there's, there's a lot to unpack when it comes to whether whether or not Liverpool made a mistake. But I think there's there's one name I do want to throw out there. Uh, this is a name floating around in the Twitter sphere and the rumor mill. This is a name that's not going to go away until the window's over. Uh, but Ismail Lassar from Watford. Keep that keep that wow. name in the back of your head because people are people are calling for Liverpool to sign him. I don't know whether it's just gossip or they have legitimate interest in a player like Sar who is very yeah. young, very fast. And still an unrefined product who, after tra- after a couple couple months, couple years training with the likes of Mane and Salah and Firmino, and obviously yeah. the the stable of players Liverpool has, could raise his game to the next level and become that next big superstar, that pacey that pacey forward that Klopp likes. And even after Klopp, the style of football I don't think is going to go anywhere, regardless of who Liverpool hire as their next manager when Klopp inevitably does leave the club, whether that's the end of his contract or before when he decides, you know, I, I can't really handle the, the day in and day out of this anymore. I need to take a break. Uh, but we'll see. This is all exciting stuff for the future. We're in a very exciting time to be uh, following football. Yeah. Regardless of the fact that we are in a pandemic and, you know, it's, it is what it is, true, in, in that regard. But at the same time, it is an exciting time. I want to switch over to a sport back in the States because we are in September. September means one thing, traditionally. That's right. Baseball season. The nitty-gritty, as Sir Alex Ferguson would call it, squeaky bumhole time. I know, I'm using a soccer reference to talk about baseball. That's what we do on the show. We mix it up. We're not one-trick ponies. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, there are... Lots, lots of teams in the playoffs this year, just because the way MLB, MLB, excuse me, has expanded the entire postseason system, allowing two teams from every division plus two wild cards, bringing that to a grand total of what is that? Twelve playoff teams. Let's see, yeah. six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, twelve playoff teams. Well, uh, uh, five, actually, ten playoff teams. I'm sorry, ten. I can't do math. No, no, uh, twelve. Uh, 16. 16. Yeah, I can't do math. 16 playoff teams this year. So basically every team who has above five, an above 500 record is going to be a contender for a postseason spot. There are a couple interesting races for like the last playoff spot in both leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Uh, you know go ahead. On. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say we just the, I'm just looking at the couple teams I wrote down before the show of, of ones to watch. Obviously, the Dodgers have already clinched their spot. Uh, the Padres made a, an insane yes. amount of noise at the trade deadline, just going out and reinforcing their squad as best they could. Uh, yes. The Yankees are the Yankees. They have money. They have players. They have talent. And they have a hunger to, w- to win a World Series for the first time since 2009. Just want to remind everyone they haven't won in 11 years. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays have 
consistently. Again, one of the best bullpens in baseball. They're, they have guys who just throw the nastiest stuff you can think of, like clockwork. It's unbelievable how they're able to develop so many pitchers who develop so many nasty pitches. I don't know what they're feeding them, but the Rays, the Rays uh, pitching development is by far the best in baseball. And I oh, will, as much as I hate the Rays, I will stand by that take. They're, they're, they're absolutely incredible. Um, you know, on this, this show is called Hot Takes Only, and I've thought about this, and I, 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 I think this is a good time that you say it. I'm picking the – I wouldn't say this in the 162-game season, but I'm picking the Padres to win a World Series. That's, that is a I, hot take. I, I just – like, they they are they could use a better bullpen. Mm-hmm. But their starting pitching – I mean, talk about Lamette and you know, added Clemager. And, you know, Chris Paddock's been probably one of their worst starters. And, I mean, and you look at the lineup they have, they've got a great lineup. Um, like I said, in the 162-game season – I think the Dodgers and the Yankees would be clear favorites, but they've had injury problems. Um, and I'm very concerned about the Dodgers rotation. So, I mean, I'm, I'm picking the Padres. So I'm picking the Padres. That's, it's the sexy pick in baseball right now. They are the most fun team to watch. Uh, Slam Diego. Slam Diego as their, as their uh, broadcaster, Don Rosillo. Cronenworth, Tatis Jr., Machado's got flash. Machado, Hosmer. I was reading today. His launch angle has pretty much doubled from oh, last yeah. year. So he he's gotten his he's rediscovered his form mm-hmm. as a player after yeah. that. He's deal. playing like the Eric Hosmer who signed that massive deal a couple seasons ago. Uh, yeah. not like the Eric Hosmer who was very close to hitting below the Mendoza line. Yeah, which, I think he was mm-hmm. statistically one of the worst players in the league. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, um, no, but I. I I would agree with you. I mean, I like I like what they've got in the rotation. Their front, th- their top three. Obviously, getting Clevenger was a huge boost. Uh, yeah. Getting Austin Nola, I think it's going to go underrated. One of the just a, oh, a solid all around awesome. catcher, both oh, yeah. offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. But in my notes for the show, under the Padres, I just mm-hmm. have the word bullpen question mark. It's just you don't you don't have as much of a as much of a confidence in their bullpen as you do. Uh, the Yankees or the Rays. So in, oh, oh, in the oh, National League, they could get through it. But oh, but do you know that they they have Drew Pomeranz, now a super reliever. He's now a super reliever. Drew Pomeranz going from hovering around ninety miles an hour, barely hitting barely hitting ninety in starts in Boston, to hammering ninety seven right down the throat, or just you know, on the paint. It's last it's, year when when I. I and I, I'm just gonna say this. Look, I, I got to be honest. Last year, watching him with San Francisco and with Milwaukee, and now watching him with the Padres, I, to be honest, I, I never had much respect for relief pitchers before. But I, I, st- I don't. If you have a couple good pitches, you can be a good relief pitcher. I mean, it's it's that simple. And yeah, I mean, he's the exactly. And you know, I I look. Anyways, <laughs> so at a sidebar, you know, I only, I think that. Other than Mariano Rivera, there's honestly not many relief pitchers. Period. That I respect. I'm sorry. I understand. Look, wow. I'm not saying by any means that I could be a good. Look, they're amazing. But right. like, no, I get, I get what you're saying, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, like a lot of relievers want to be starters, and they just can't for whatever reason. That that's that's one of the funnier takes I've had on the show. Not because it's bad, but because as as someone who didn't have the stuff to be either a starter or a reliever or a closer for that matter. Uh, I have a lot of respect for relievers just because they're, you have to kind of be crazy 
to be a reliever. You, it, I mean, at, at any point in any game, you could be called upon to pitch multiple innings. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, closers are the exception. They're the weird ones because you, you're, you do nothing all game. It's like they're like goalkeepers in soccer. You, they do nothing all game. They could do nothing all game for 90 minutes and then all of a sudden make one save or have to make one save and either they do they do or don't make it. Closers, I feel like it's the same thing. But relievers, you never know. You're just sitting out there in center field or right by the dugout for, say, six and a, half, six and a third innings. All of a sudden, your name gets called. You have to throw a couple pitches in the bullpen. You don't have a lot of time to get warm. And all of a sudden, you're out there on the mound in a very high leverage situation having to throw down your best stuff against their best hitters. You got to have some kind of some kind of mental switch in your head and be able to turn it on and off to be a really really good reliever. Uh, we're not talking necessarily closers, but just those those setup guys, those high leverage guys, guys you would put in in say the top of the eighth to really shut another team down. It when say bases loaded, nobody out, top of the eighth in a one run game. You got to you got to bring in a guy who's not your closer. But you got to bring in a guy who's going to throw ninety seven, ninety eight with a wipeout secondary. Um, and like you were saying earlier, Drew Pomerantz ticks those boxes. So back on the Padres, full circle uh, tangent about relief pitchers. The Padres is definitely they're definitely the sexy pick this year. I I like I like what they bring to the table. I like watching the watching the Padres play baseball. Oh, that's that's. I just think look, I wouldn't pick them in a hundred sixty two game season. No, they're a sexy pick. And one thing, like to your point. Okay, really. First of all, relievers are a bit crazy. You just got to be super locked in when you come. Yeah. But I think, look, I understand it's going to be a little harder given how condensed the postseason is, but I think the Nationals really redefined a lot of the wheels last year. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about, oh, you can use lots of relievers and do all these bullpen games. But, you know, I'm looking at the Padres right now, and, you know, you've got, you know, a surplus of of starting pitching, you know, you've got – Quantrill and, and Davies and Lamette and Clevenger and Richards and Paddock. And and even with just one, you know, Pomeranz and one or two other good relievers, you know, you can throw some of those starters back in the bullpen to pitch high leverage innings. And they have four good starters. I mean, Lamette is a Cy Young contender. Mm-hmm. Clevenger is one of the best pitchers. I mean, Paddock can be an ace when he, when he wants to. So, I mean – if they can get those guys in the high leverage situations, and they have they have a very good lineup. Shout out to your boy uh, Will Myers. Will Myers. <laughs> uh, and uh, I mean, now they got Grisham. I think he was a really underrated. I, I just like their team a lot. I, I, and they just got the swag, man. They got the swag. They do. They're 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 making baseball fun again. I mean, since the Tatis. I love it. Since the Tatis 3-0 Grand Slam, I think they have the best record in baseball. Or this was maybe one or two days yeah. ago. They had the best record in baseball, and the Rangers have the worst record in baseball, or one of the worst records in baseball. So it just shows you they're having fun playing baseball. This sport is fun. It's fun to watch. It's fun to talk about. And that's something people don't I, recognize as much. I, you know what, man? I love it. It's so refreshing. I saw you talk about online, like, the stuff when Tatis swung into that, you know, what was it he did against Texas? He, he, was it he, he swung 3 0. Yeah, he swung 3 0 while up seven run while his yeah. team was up seven. Yeah, that's right. And Woodward, Chris Woodward. Yeah, Chris Woodward like, had he had yeah. just one of the worst takes. Like, I get it, there are unwritten rules in baseball, but there really shouldn't be unwritten rules in baseball. In in other sports, what do you do when you have the opportunity to step on your opponent's throat? Not literally, don't ever do that, but metaphorically, and run up the score and just humiliate your opponent. 
yeah. every other sport, you take every opportunity you can to run out the score. You may not like it, but you have the same amount of time as your opponents to stop them from scoring and score yourself. If you don't do it, that's an indictment of you. Obviously, I never played the game at a high level, so this is just armchair anal- yeah. this is armchair analyst level stuff. But realistically, if you play any kind of sport or any kind of game and you're playing to win... You want to assert your authority as best you can. And by doing that, that's how you do that. You swing on 3-0 pitches. If someone throws 93 right down the middle in, the, in baseball on a 3-0 count, how are you not going to swing? It's it's programmed in your brain. If you see something you like, you're going to swing. And it just so happens that Tatis hit it out. He could have verily just popped up and missed it by a fraction. Yeah, as a, yeah you play the game. You play the game to win, and you, you do the best you can. I mean, it's just like... You're right. It's like I, I'm. I'm so glad they're they're freshening up the game, and he should never have to apologize. I think Trevor Bauer said it. He should never have to apologize Mm-mm. for no, doing that. Never. This is desperately what baseball needs right mm-hmm. now. I'm so glad we're we're seeing some personalities like shine through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, desperately what they they need. And honestly, you know, I'm I'm just going to throw out there another reason why I, to that to actually on that point why I think the Padres are actually a good pick is because they don't look like a team that's going to be even, I, I can't remember the last time, you know what happened to them the last time they did collapse? I, I can't even remember. And this is no disrespect Padres fans. I just, I haven't followed the NL West as, as much as I yeah. maybe should have, but like, like well, even if they're going to be a new team to the playoffs, they don't look like they're a team that's going to tighten up and be afraid of the moment, like afraid of the moment. Like, I'm looking at a team like the Dodgers, for example, who's probably the prohibitive favorite to come out of the West. Sorry, Atlanta. <laughs> um, you know, they are – I mean, you just never know. Maybe they're going to tighten up. You worry about guys like Kenley Jansen, or is he going to – you know, is he going to be okay in those leverage? Like, the, the Padres look like they're just loose and they have mm-hmm. fun. So. Yeah, no, we've seen, we've seen instances where teams do well when they have nothing to lose. Uh, versus teams that have everything to lose and just choke under pressure. I mean, this is the the Dodgers are carrying the weight of expectation on their shoulders. They haven't won a World Series in what 30, 31, 30, 32 years now. I think um, it's been a while, and it's it's a tough thing to have on your shoulders when you are as wealthy and as talented and as yeah. deep as the Dodgers are. But obviously. You know, you still have to get it done, and that burden can really weigh on you, and it can cause you to make mistakes. And that actually is a good transition into why um, I think the Dodgers—they—they they were the first team to clinch a playoff berth this year. They're going to have probably the best record in baseball again. But for me, they're just not—they're not, not going to win the World Series. And I could be very—I could, you know, well, at the end of October, I could be wrong. Why? Why do you? Why do you think that? Tell me. Tell me your lowdown. Because outside of outside of Walker Bueller. Maybe Dustin May as well. I have zero confidence in any of the pitchers on the team. Sure. None. If if you're a Dodgers fan right now, you should be very concerned about uh, Kenley Jansen. Oh, yeah. Kenley I mean, Jansen's most recent outing was probably the worst he's ever been, ever. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just want to say, I mean, to your point, I think you hit it right on the nail. I, I've watched a lot of Dodger games this year, and I just, all the, look, I... I my opinion of the Dodgers in the last week or two has significantly changed. I thought at the beginning of the season, everything just pointed to them being, by particularly as the Yankees started to have injury problems, 
by far the prohibited favorite. But in the last couple of weeks, the warning signs to me, the alarm bells have been going through their head. Um, you know, Bueller and and May have had injury problems. I know, albeit kind of minor ones. Um, I mean, you thought they traded away a stripling. Um, so, you know, Bueller, you need Bueller or May to, to come back. Um, you never know if you can count on Kershaw in the postseason. Mm-hmm. You got Tony Gonsolin, who's pretty good, but he's, you know, a little bit on, on the unproven side. So you're wondering who's going to be, who's going to emerge in the starting rotation. Number two, Kenley Jansen, like you said, they're, he did great his first, you know, at the beginning of the year, but, and, you know, they were talking about, all oh, his velocity's down, but he's under control, but you just can't trust him. All, to be fair, they actually do have a very good bullpen, extremely good bullpen, other than him. I think Trinan should be the closer. Um, and then third off, I mean, the cracks are there. And, and, and look, I could be, I know this is speaking from experience watching the Dodgers and maybe not with a clear frame of mind. But the, this is the same Dodgers I've seen a lot of, like, other than last year, two or three years ago, where they I think they lead, the, I'm guessing they lead the MLB in run scored. But, I mean, other yeah. than Mookie Betts and Corey Seager, I mean, a lot of just, you know, Turner's having a good year, but a lot of guys struggling. You know, Bellinger still kind of regrouped a little bit, but still hasn't been good. Max Muncy not having a good year. There's a lot of guys that just um, don't have good averages and, and are not, you know, Jock Peterson, just not, not uh, Kike Hernandez, not, not, uh, not fully locked in. And you just worry, is this going to be the team that relied on the home run ball, but, uh, you know, doesn't really get on base much. Yeah. So. It's interesting. You mentioned Blake trying to, I want to, I want to talk about Cody Bellinger in a little bit. Um, Briefly, my, my, the thought is that he's definitely regressed to the mean. I thought last year when he won the MVP, he had a good season, but the second half, it was mainly the first half of the season he had. The second half was much worse. I think he, his slash lines, his slash lines were at least 150 points lower. I think it was, it was significantly lower in the second half. Um, and you don't know, that could be a lot of different things, but, um, what I want to talk about was Blake Trinan. I remember when, um, when the Dodgers announced that deal, when that deal was finalized for Blake Trident to join the Dodgers on a one-year deal, I thought that was probably the best bit of business they could have done. They they signed him to be the eighth inning guy, the guy to pitch right behind Kenley Jansen, the guy to bring in high leverage situations. I mean, two years ago, he was one of the best relievers in baseball. His ERA was microscopic throughout the entire season. And last year, I think it was a combination of injuries and just not, not being the same kind of pitcher. Um, and then this year he's been he's kind of back to the Blake Trinan we're used to seeing, uh, at least the the good Blake Trinan. Anyways, it's just it's it's concerning though because this, you saw the same thing happen a couple years ago when the Dodgers signed uh, Ryan Madsen. Madsen yep. was having the same kind of career resurgence. He was pitching really well at the end of the season, and in October he just made way too many mistakes in in crucial situations, and that's that's what I worry about the Dodgers. It's that. It's not just the starting guys. It's not just their starters. It's not just their lineup. It's the bullpen in really tight situations. Who you call on in a high leverage situation for the Dodgers right now? If you are the Dodgers, yeah. there's I no mean, one you can really turn to. You know, I think. Look, I, I think that uh, Trinan has to be the guy. I think he definitely, like you said, um, he he did he did regress to the mean uh, last year and previously, but he's shown at times, particularly at the beginning of the year. He's got that, I mean, elite sinker. He's got his stuff back. And, I mean, 
you look the Dodgers, you're right. The Dodgers have a very deep bullpen, but he's the one guy I would I would trust the most. They have a lot of guys, but there's not one I would say is, you know, in a really elite picture. He's gotta be the one, I think. And if honestly if I were look, if I were Dave Roberts, who I think has done, you know, a lot of people question his ability to manage the bullpen on um, the playoffs. I, I'm so I know he has a good, really good personal relationship with Kenley Jansen, but I just think you can't make this mistake again. He's got to become your closer. I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and this has been talked about more and more as, as bullpens uh, as quote unquote openers have become big in baseball. Um, I think the more that that's come to the table, the more the, having a traditional closer, in the same, like, this is your ninth inning guy or maybe eighth inning uh, with two outs. This is your guy. I think we're starting to see less of that and more of this. Okay, who's just the best pitcher in a high leverage situation? Who's going to come in and throw just just the nastiest shit you can think of and shut down the opposition in high leverage situations? Two runners on uh, in a one-run game or a tie game, for example. And really that term for, for a team like the Dodgers, when you have a closer who's struggling... It, you almost need to throw that out of the window and realize that, okay, he's your closer, but he's struggling right now. And the guy they have at the plate is one of the best hitters in baseball. You need to find, you need to throw your best pitcher at him, at least on form. And yeah. I think for the most part, Dave Roberts is an excellent manager. It's just more having a feel for which pitchers are pitching well in certain situations and which ones aren't. That's also a lot easier said than done because is, yeah. last year, Ryan Madsen before the world series, he was still yeah. pitching really, or not last year, two years ago, before the World Series against the Red Sox. He was pitching incredibly well. And sure. all of a sudden, he gives up a bomb to Mitch Moreland, and the entire complexity of the series changes. So, really, it's just a case of who's the best pitcher, who's going to shut him down. It doesn't matter what the title is. It doesn't matter what the name is. That doesn't show up in, in the win column. The only thing that shows up is a win. And that's what I think the Dodgers have to focus on more so if they do want to win in the postseason. But again, I'm just not... For me, I'm just not convinced. And this is not a slight on the team at all. It's a very good baseball team. It's just when the cl- when the calendar hits October, it's a different sure. ballgame. And you have to be prepared for it. You know, you're absolutely right, Owen. Uh, first of all, he you have to manage the bullpen. You have to have a feel for when to pull guys, who to put in for certain matchups. You know, you, you got to have that feel. And that's one thing you struggle with. Um, but you're right. They, someone's got to emerge. And I'll tell you, the the key you talk about doing good business. I mean, uh, Freeman's a really good GM. Um, the, the whole key, honestly, to their whole season could be Gratterall. I mean, you mm-hmm. talk about another good piece of business. I mean, Gratterall was an elite prospect, and the whole concern was could he stay healthy? And somehow the Dodgers plucked him out, and he hasn't pitched great. But I mean, you talk about a guy who can throw a hundred. I mean, he could. By postseason, if he just gets hot at the right time, there you go. You've got your, you've got two lockdown relievers with him and Trinan, and piece together with the bullpen. There you go. So yeah, you know. that's that's one thing they have to focus on. Again, I think it's just yeah. it's just using the best pitcher in the best possible situation, not just what you believe to be your best pitcher or nominally who you say your best pitcher is, your shutdown guy. So the the whole term I think for the Dodgers needs to be thrown out the window if they do want to win the World Series. That said. I could be I could be wrong. We could be looking back at this uh, a month and a half from now and realizing, hey, Owen was completely off base. The Dodgers won the World Series. You know, he was wrong. But 
at least from from the perspective now in mid to late September, that's what the future looks like for the Dodgers. And, and I want to get to the other teams as well, because there's a lot of exciting teams that realistically could win it all. Obviously we've talked about the Padres being one of them. The Dodgers, one of them. Uh, well, Owen, let's ask about, let's ask, let's talk about the Braves. Cause I don't want to, the, I want to make sure we get time to talk about the, Atlanta the, the less, the less we talk about Atlanta sports teams, the better. Um, for those of you who are either listening to this on Twitch, we're live streaming it or uh, later on the podcast in podcast form. Um, being an Atlanta sports fan can be described in one word, and that is pain. Um, so if if you are a fan of a team that has ever blown a 25-point lead in the second half of a Super Bowl, uh, give me a call. Otherwise, um, I, I think that should be reserved for a later time. Now, the Falcons were not favorites in that game, and I don't want to talk too much football, but that's just the 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 essence of being an Atlanta sports fan was that Super Bowl performing way above expectation, taking it so close to the highest level to winning a championship outside of Atlanta United. That's an isolated incident. We don't talk about that. Bringing, bringing a city so close to the glory for the first time since 1995, since I was nine months old when, the, when Atlanta won a championship. That is the last time it has happened. And that is still the last time it is going to happen. It, it's going to remain that way for a long time because the Atlanta Braves pitching is trash. There are two good pitchers in the rotation I trust right now. One of them just came back off the injured list, and that's Max Freed. The other is uh, Ian Anderson, who's literally three starts into his big league career. And he <laughs> he, and Freed and Soroka, who's out for the year, are the only three pitchers in that entire bullpen that I would trust. Will well, Smith. Actually, I think, some, I think there's a few guys in there. Uh, Shane Green. Uh, okay. Minter, I mean, they've got some. They've they have they have some guys who do well in the regular season, sure. But last year in the postseason, the Braves yeah. bullpen and pitching staff entirely completely collapsed. It's going to be the same thing this year. I've seen this story so many times. My expectations for the Braves are zero. The lineup is great. I love how I love Freddie Freeman is just hitting. He's hitting homers left, right, and center. He's just dropping dick all over the place. Marcelo Zuna. Has, is another player. Acuna is just doesn't care about your stats. Ozzy Albies, great second baseman. Dansby Swanson, potential Gold Glove shortstop. It, but it's it's the same story over and over and over and over with any team that plays in the state of Georgia. Who's going to be the rotation for them? Then? I don't know. Freed uh, Anderson is. Uh, I don't even know. I hope they don't call up Sean, Sean Newcomb or Tuki Toussaint because both of those guys have issues with their command and their stuff for, for that matter. Um, Sean Newcomb loves throwing 95 right down the middle. He needs to stop doing that and, and learn how to pitch and not just throw. Uh, there's a reason he's in the minors right now or the Braves alternate site. Um, it's, it's, bec- it's just I, I've seen this story so many times over and over. And last year, last year was so special. Adam Duvall against the Cardinals late in the game, game four, a chance to steal one on the road, send it back to Atlanta with a chance to go to the AL, the NLCS, and they give up 10 runs in the first inning because they think Fultonevich is not going to throw 95 right down the middle. Spoiler, he threw 95 right down the middle, and the Braves gave up 10 runs in the first inning. 
this is Atlanta sports all over again. I've seen, I mean, I don't, I, I get emotional about it because this is where I'm from. This is my hometown and they're just going to do it over and over and over and over again. That was again. so frustrating, dude. I mean, they really blew that. I, I remember watching that at work and I, I was just laughing. I was sitting at my desk laughing because I just, I, I had seen this movie so many times before and I'm going to keep watching this movie because I'm loyal to my city and that's it. Like, this is where I'm from. This is the teams I'm going to rep outside. Of, I mean, Red Sox and Liverpool, we're gonna talk, we'll talk about that later. But it's just, I, I can't, I can't take any more of this. They, what, what they do best, and this is obviously something that my brother has grilled me on, is I think it's, it's harder being an Atlanta fan because what they do, what they do to you is they give you this, this tiny concept, this thing called hope, hope that you're actually going to win a championship. And what do they do? They stomp on it, burn it, and then shit on it all at once. That is, that is what being an Atlanta sports fan is like is taking every ounce of hope you have in your body, every positive thought of maybe winning a championship, taking you so close, and it's gone. Well, Just like that. I mean, damn, that's I, rough. I will never back down from this take. If if you want to talk about it, DM me on Twitter, DM me on Instagram, hit me up on Facebook, text me, call me, whatever. I will never back down from this take. This is my take of being an Atlanta sports fan. It is painful. Brutally painful. You just got to keep up with this, bro. You have, you have to. Um, it, that, that first championship is going to be so sweet if it happens in my lifetime. Bro, let's, let's actually – this is a really good thing. Let's think about like This Atlanta Braves team specifically, um, I can't think of, honestly, a more team on another – can you think of another Atlanta Braves team that's flown as under the radar as this? Uh, every Atlanta Braves team ever since the 90s. Well, I don't know, man. I mean, look, last year people were talking about them. All those teams in the past, with, you know, those great teams with Maddox and Glavin, I mean, they were always talked about. This year they're flying right under the radar, man. This could be – there's no expectations, bro. It's like, you know, bro, it's like – this this is perfect, man. It, it doesn't. It's like it's like you, you pour your heart and uh, you know, and then it, you break up with your girlfriend, and now it's like you know, there you don't got to have super high expectations, and maybe they'll just sneak that title right in there. I you know, as much as I would love to believe that, and as much as every fiber of my being wants it to see Atlanta win a championship in any sport, baseball, basketball, or football, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen regardless of what the expectations are, whether or not they're favorites. It's not going to happen. If they if they do win, we're going to we should play this audio. Oh no, this is this is going to be Skip Bayless esque if oh, if we do God. this. But this is this this comes from a place that actually matters. Unlike Skip, who just says stuff, who just says shit to be ignorant and to be an asshole. Um, Skip, if you're listening, fuck you. Um, basically, what I'm getting at is that this comes from a place where I genuinely care about my team and I've seen enough of this torment and heartbreak to know that this is not going to go the way you think. I mean, it's 2020 Donald Trump is president. Stranger things have happened, but it's not going to happen this year for the Atlanta Braves. It's not going to happen next year for the Falcons or the Hawks. Any team that plays in the state of in the state of Georgia, not winning a championship. You know, they've got to get over the hump somehow, bro. Mm-mm. Look at 
look at the Cavaliers, look at the Cubs. I mean, th- those. Some, some, one of those teams, bro. Uh, you know. No, here's like, okay, let me ask you a question. Would you count UGA football as getting over the hump? Because they're kind of like a power. Like, they're, they're like a power. They're, I don't know. They're still they're missing that extra oomph that that every team in Georgia has lacked. They're just missing it, and uh, I I don't know. I it's like Georgia blew a twenty to six lead. I mean it's Alabama, but they were up twenty to six at half. Obviously the Falcons twenty eight to three. The Atlanta Braves won fourteen straight division titles, one World Series to show for it. Uh, gave up ten runs in the first inning uh, last year in Game Five in an elimination game. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks exist. That's torment enough. Um, they're building something, but they're still the Atlanta Hawks, second worst record in the league, and still ending up with the number six pick. Figure that one out somehow. Um, where do I go from here? Atlanta United uh, are back to being garbage uh, because Tata Martino is gone, and Frank DeBoer almost relegated the team in a league that doesn't have relegation. Um, he's probably the worst manager ever. Uh, I could go on and on about the state of Georgia just being a Georgia tech is never going to win a championship in football. Uh, maybe in, in base, but their baseball program has produced some really good players, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it, I don't really like Georgia tech. So it doesn't, we're not going to talk about Georgia tech. Um, and for those friends and family who know that I grew up a Georgia tech fan and then switched over to Georgia when I went to college, it's more so if you're going to think of Georgia, what reminds you of home, you're going to think of the dogs and you're not going to think of the yellow jackets. Yeah, I mean they're an Atlanta they're an Atlanta team or Atlanta school, but there's nothing that you know, the University of Georgia reminds you of home more than more than Georgia Tech does. It's just it's just a feeling. Feel free to grill me for being a fair weather fan, but I, I remember watching Georgia in two thousand thirteen and two thousand fourteen on the heels of Todd Gurley uh tearing his ACL, just being one of the worst teams in the SEC. So I, I remember what it's like when Georgia was bad. And I remember when it's like when they lost to Georgia Tech when I was in, I think it was in high school. That's okay. All that aside, being an Atlanta sports, Atlanta sports fan is pain. I hate the Bra- I hate watching the Braves in the playoffs. They're going to win the division again, but it's going to be pain. Um, it, I, I'm sorry if you're a fan of a team that's never made the World Series. I'm sorry, but I'm really not sorry because having your team consistently choke in the playoffs at the very moment they can ascend to glory, that very moment, every single time, Every single time. The best thing, though, the best thing you got to look forward to, man. Okay, that yeah, that's really rough, bro. It's like you get your hopes up, and mm-hmm. yeah, like 16, 17 years, it's been a mm-hmm. lot. The best thing, look, I, I, I think that putting UGA football aside, I think the Braves are definitely the best hope to break the curse because they're a great organization. I mean, the Hawks are okay. They've had periods where they've had really good teams and periods where they haven't. Falcons, eh. No, uh, let's, let's, let's not. Let's not uh, the less we talk about it, Atlanta sports teams, the better. Um, I, I don't know. I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, let's get back to baseball, though, because I do want to. I do want to get to golf before we wrap up the show, and sure. we're, we're we got a few more baseball teams I want to discuss before before we switch over to the U.S. Sure. Open, which started today. Sure. Um, I I know you gave your take already. Who's going to win the World Series? That I know you think the Padres are going to win, and I I like that take. It's a sexy pick. If I had to pick right now, though, and I I hate saying this, and if it comes true, if it, if it comes true, I'm going to hate saying it. It's the New York Yankees. I think they're going to win the World Series. I I know your mom's going to love it. I know part of my family's going to love it up in New York. I know 
Yankees fans are going to love it. They're going to be unbearable, but I think th- uh, this is this is finally the year they do it. I mean, it it would be a pandemic year the year they they win the first title since what 2009? Yeah, 11 years since they won a title. Um and all that money. Wow. What a what an organization. Um all that aside, I think top to bottom they're the best team in baseball. Um at least not not on um record and not on what they've done over the course of the season, but on form. Right now, they are the best team in baseball right when you need oh, to be well, the best team in baseball. You know, you know what? Yes, but they they were really bad for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. No, and they God. were, and it, that it, it was bad. They were getting beat up by everybody they played. The point where maybe Toronto could pass them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Toronto was actually past them in the standings. They were the they were the third third place in the division for a while. Wow, yeah. But you know. honestly, I I think this is this is when they do it. Everyone is back healthy, or mostly everyone is back healthy. They're playing yeah, well again. Uh, they're the getting game. Stanton and Judge back. Mm-hmm. And, Stanton and uh, Judge are coming back. Although Paxton is hurt. Yeah. Paxton. But still, I, I, this is when you need to get hot to make a run in October. And mm-hmm. they are getting hot right when you need to. And I hate the thought of them winning a championship, but I just have a feeling it's going to happen this year for, for the Yankees. Uh, I had that feeling a little bit last year, and then the Astros cheated them out of a World Series title. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um I mean, I hate the Astros, but I hate the Yankees probably even more. Um, yeah, it's I I don't know I I hate I hate saying this so much, but their bullpen with uh, Ottavino, if he stops throwing frisbees over the middle of the plate, um, Chad Green when yep. he gets his command back, uh, Zach Britton, one of the best closers in baseball, or one one of the best relievers in baseball over the last couple of years, um, Aroldis Chapman throwing a hundred from the left side. Um, it, it's just, it's, I have a bad feeling about it for the, if I'm, you know, I just have a bad feeling about it. Luke Voigt is an MVP candidate. I never thought I'd say that because he seems like one of the guys who'd hit like 225, but hit like 45 homers. Like every other hit is a homer for him, I think, which, but he's he's hitting for average too this year, which is crazy. I mean, look, but here's the only thing I'll say. Here's the only thing I'll say. First of all, um, you're absolutely right. Look, the thing about the Yankees and just with the big organizations, they have so much depth in the pitching. Yep. And you know, you mentioned Otto Vino's not you know he's not having a great year, but they've got other guys, you know, Britton, Sessa, Green, et cetera, that can fill in. But I mean, on the flip side, I mean, you play devil's advocate here. Um, uh, I mean, look, they have a ridiculous amount of talent, particularly in offense, but like the rotation. Um, they need a, they need more than two starters. They've got Tanaka and they've got Cole. That's it. Yeah. I mean, the Dodgers have an injury problem. Like, look, that's why I'm picking the Padres. The most, uh, I, I think, look, it's easier to pitch, piece together the bullpen than it is to piece together the rotation. Mm-hmm. Without Severino, I mean, who's who's lining up in game three and four for the Yankees right now? You tell me. Uh, I, I don't even know. I mean, they could bullpen it for all we know. I mean, all you have to do is get past the first round. You can start bullpenning it. When it gets to the ALD, ALCS, if they make it that far, it is going to get a little tricky, though, I think, and, and rightly so. Uh, miss, having, also, having depth issues is big in October, but and, I just have a feeling they're going to find a way to do it. But let's also – let's also – for also, let's not assume that Judge and Stanton are going to – first of all, I'm not sure Stanton can stay healthy. It's like he started the season. Like, he hasn't proven. Let's not assume that if they are healthy, they're going to be back to form. I mean, let's not assume that. 
the short season. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, That's true. they've got other great hitters, Boyd and, you know, LeMay, you know, assuming LeMay, who can stay healthy mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, like they, they, they've got some, they, I would agree. They're definitely, they're definitely right up there. Man. Yeah. I mean, they, they may well have, um, they may well have, uh, issues. And also like, you know, and also, I mean, look, I, I think one of the things that's really tough is just in the short season. Um, you know, it's like these guys over 162 game season, you know, they would, um, they would really, you'd think like these great teams, everyone would revert to how good they are or bad. But it's like, the other thing is like, you know, it, I think the Yankees are the same thing as the Dodgers. I mean, some of their other guys like um, Gardner, uh, Hicks, uh, Torres, like they're all below what they would be in a full season. And I think that a lot of, to be honest, I, I think that with the Yankees, and I mentioned too with Judge and Sten, I they remind me a lot of the LA Clippers. We're talking that just lost. We're talking about how great they are based on potential, not good, how actually good they are. Mm-hmm. Okay, are they winning games? Yes, but I would. I think we'd agree they're not playing like they should. They're up to their full potential. No, and that I, that I think is the scary thing because they're still winning ball games. They're still playing really, really but, well. But unless, we can't assume that they're just going to be able to. That's all you learn from the Clippers, like that, that mm-hmm. they could just flip, a, like that they'll be okay. Yeah. What matters is that you know you have to at the right time be playing your best, and they can play well. Mm-hmm. World Series, they've got to be playing their best. Yeah, no, I to- totally understand that, and you know, it- it's valid to. That's yeah. that's a you know, you bring up a lot of really good points about these potential issues the Yankees might have. Um, yeah. But you know, that's that's my take. I I hate it. I hate my take a lot because I hate the Yankees a lot. But I just have a feeling this is this is it's lining up for them to to play really good baseball. They're not. They don't have the expectations that they did at the start of the season. They had a stretch where they weren't playing good. Players are starting to get back healthy. They're getting a little bit of momentum going into October. That is oftentimes what it drives teams to the promised land. And I just have a feeling this year it's going to be the Yankees. And now I'd hate to see it. You would really hate to see it too. Also, I'm pretty sure you just threw shade at the Clippers again, um, which I'm, I'm here for Clippers slander because it's just hilarious. Um, yeah, Clippers. The, the fact that the Clippers blew a three-one lead in uh, in the Western semis, so you really hate to see that. Um, but yeah, you know, well, there, we'll talk about basketball more in depth, I think, on another episode. But I just want to throw a couple more teams out there that you know, teams that you should keep an eye on, especially as we get into October. This is obviously going to change next week as as teams start to wrap up division titles and whatnot. Um, but there's four teams in particular I think are going to make a lot of noise uh, and still fly under the radar. Uh, the Chicago Cubs, not really under the radar as, as most people, but most people aren't putting in the same category as the Dodgers or the Yankees or even the Rays, uh, or the Padres. They're not like the sexy team anymore. Um, that they were in 2016, uh, the White Sox, the Chicago White Sox have one of the best records in baseball right now, which is scary to think about considering where they were a couple years ago and even last year, uh, Tim Anderson flipping his bat all over the place. Gotta love it. They are uh, fun to watch. Dude. They, are they are a fun team to watch. Lucas Giolito threw a no-hitter this year. He's got great stuff. Command can be an issue sometimes. Uh, but the White Sox are t- ones to watch out for. Uh, the Twins, 
Josh Donaldson and Nelson Cruz hitting balls all over the yard. Byron Buxton playing like an MVP candidate, like the one that we thought he was going to be when he first burst onto the scene. And, uh, and the Oakland A's. The A's, I feel like, fly under the radar every single year, and every single year they're there. They're just they, – no one counts on the Oakland A's just because they, they have to play money ball, and yet here they are year after year after year yeah. after year, at least in the last few – you know, the last, what, four or five years? Yeah. No, you're you're 100 percent right. Yeah, so those are those are a couple teams to keep an eye on for sure, at least from my perspective. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm. It's really interesting, man. Uh, don't forget about the Astros too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I hate to say it. Um, mm-hmm. The White Sox are a team, man. That I, I mean, talk about uh, fun and just they have some exciting players on that team, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, you know, and. and I mean, you, you look at, you know, Tim Anderson and Jimenez and Abreu and, and Robert and all these guys. And, like, the thing is I just worry is I just worry that, you know, some of these teams you mentioned, like the Twins, like I, I just think, you know, you you don't have to have a great starting rotation in bullpen. But even though, you know, statistically the White Sox have good pitching, I, I just wonder if they have good enough playoff pitching. I don't think the Twins have good enough playoff pitching. Yeah, I think outside of um, um, outside of Barrios, I think the Twins yep. have a lot to be desired. Yep. Uh, the White Sox outside of Giolito, kind of the same thing. Exactly. The Cubs it's, outside of you, Darvish. Exactly. So that's so. why I'm looking. I mean, I, Oakland. I mean, they're there. Um, but some of those other teams. I mean, I almost give my team, the Indians, a better chance than I would those teams for simply in terms of can you really win it? You yeah. gotta have to win it. Yeah. And, well, I mean, you've got you've got. Arguably the front runner for the AL Cy Young Award in uh, Shane Bieber, the Biebs. Anyways, you know, I, you know okay, let's hold up, just real oh. quick. I'll throw this yes, out. yes, definitely. Okay. So, I mean, all these teams are exciting. Talk about the pain of being a Cleveland sportsman, and it was obviously great to see the Cavs after watching Cleveland sports my whole life, like win, you know, uh, four years ago now. But, um, but like. I was really liking our team up until Clevenger and Playsack made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and now we don't have Clevenger anymore. Yep. And it's just, and, you know, we don't have Kluber anymore, and, mm-hmm. and that, that looks fine. But it's like, I just thought if we had Clevenger and Bieber, with the way he's pitching, yeah. you know, and Playsack and oh, some of the other good pitchers we have. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I like come playoff time, particularly with the first short, I loved our chances. No, so. yeah, I, I definitely hear that, and it's a valid it's a valid concern to have. I'll say, I'll say it again. Look, look. Are the the Yankees are ridiculously talented? Mm-hmm. But if Cleveland came up again, then they can throw five. They could have thrown five good starters, and the Yankees have two. They very well could. They very well could. Um, it's you know it's. Um, it's a, it's a real. It's a tough one because it's it's a, it's an idea. You know, obviously the thing you hate looking at the most is the what could have been, as opposed to what is. And what could have been is always the most painful thing, especially when you consider a lot of things that you and I have watched as uh, as fans of two miserable sporting cities, if you will. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And also, quick. I just want to say, uh, you know. It's just like these teams, you just wonder when their window is going to close. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping the Braves, the Dodgers, or the Indians are going to make a breakthrough at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you never at know. So, at some point. And th- yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing I think that needs to be talked about a little more in sports is just general sustainability because yeah. a lot of franchises, some of them don't really have as many windows where they go through just droughts of not being a good team and their quote unquote championship windows coming and going. I mean, it's a common thing in every sport for every single team, you know, teams have their ups and downs, but teams that are most consistently able to put together uh, rosters and performances year in and year out that compete for titles. Those are the ones you have to really give your respect to no matter if they win or not, but just to have that element where they're going to be relevant every single year. Uh, it's just a testament to how well run the organization is top to bottom. And you do have to kind of respect, you have to respect that sometimes. And as much as it pains me to say, I think the Yankees are actually one of the most well run clubs in baseball. I mean, I think since, yeah. since what the eighties or something, they've only had one or two seasons under 500. It's, it's remarkable how the sustainability they've had and the, the way they've kind of been able to put together good teams, not necessarily the best teams, but very, very good teams. Uh, and occasionally in in the 21st century, occasionally uh, championship caliber teams. Occasionally, occasionally. Um, I do want to I do want to shift over to golf before we uh, before we kind of wrap up the show and get to the the last final hot takes. Okay. Uh, the U.S. Open in golf, which was obviously supposed to be Father's Day, but because of court, because of uh, COVID nineteen, has been shifted to this week. Um, started today at Wingfoot um, U.S. Open, and. You know, I, I want to ask you, Willie, about an idea that you and I talked about way back when, when we did this show more consistently than we do now. And that idea is bifurcation. Uh, bifurcation is, for those who aren't, who aren't familiar, it's the idea that for professionals and amateurs in golf, uh, there needs to be two sets of rules, uh, specifically as they pertain to equipment, not so much the rules of the game itself. The rules of the game are not going to change at all. Um, as far as on a fundamental level between pros and amateurs, we're all going to play by the same rules. It's more so the equipment. The idea is that pros are hitting the ball too far and courses are having to be lengthened to compensate for that. I understand that take and I understand the desire to make a course longer and to adapt to what is currently happening in the game. I understand the idea behind bifurcation as well having pros use a certain set of equipment and limiting what they can and cannot use, I think is a totally valid idea. However, the one thing in golf that will never change is it does not matter how you do it, but as long as you get the ball in the hole in fewer strokes than everybody else, you win. Colin Morikawa is not the longest hitter on tour. He is not the longest hitter on tour, yeah. and he's won three times Two, since since he three, three, three. he's won three times on tour already. One of them being a major, the other being uh, the, um, won the it was memorial. it was it was or the tournament it was at uh, the World Day tournament at the memorial, and then yeah. he won the uh, Barracuda. Yeah, it was at it won the Barracuda a couple of years Arbisol. ago. It was there was whatever yeah. whatever the title is the uh, Stableford tournament. Um, he won there. He won at uh, Muirfield Village. I think it was the alternate tournament. It was the week before. Yeah, the work day. Work day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the the PGA. Now, TPC Harding Park is a shorter course than we are used to seeing on the PGA Tour. I think it's just over 7,000 yards. 
That is not a, not a long course for especially for professionals that are carrying the ball 315 yards these days. But the guy who won is not a, he's not a long hitter by any stretch. He doesn't hit it. He's not a short hitter, but he's not a long hitter. He doesn't hit the ball a mile and he still he still won. And you look at the leaderboard, not everyone on the top of the leaderboard is a guy who just hits it as far as possible. Uh, I want to also talk about Bryson DeChambeau as the kind of reason why we don't need to have bifurcation. Bryson DeChambeau put on how many pounds in the off in between between the resumption of the PGA Tour and the and the halt? I think 30 or 40 pounds of muscle. He's hitting ball speeds of 190 miles an hour off the tee. He's carrying the ball 335, 340 yards in the air. You see his drive today? He's he's hitting the ball all over the place as far as distance. He's hitting it so far, but he's won one tournament. One. So it doesn't matter how far, how far you can hit a golf ball. You still have to get it in the hole in fewer strokes than anyone else. It doesn't matter how you do it. The scorecard doesn't have pictures. And... As long yeah. as players like Bryson are not consistently winning every single week, the argument for bifurcation does get a little weaker. It for me personally, for someone well, who plays the game. Here's the thing: I, I look. I don't think bifurcation should happen, but based on what you're saying, the problem is like so. Yeah, I don't. I'm. I'm for. I could give a lot of reasons. I. I I'm against bifurcation, but I do think that the the problem is like. You know, it's like, well, you're right. Um, you there's you you have to you have to do, and you know more or less than I do. But you have to do all to win on the PGA Tour. All parts of your game have to be working that week. But the thing is, when you hit so such long tee shots, you have such an advantage. Now, if you look at a guy like DeChambeau, it's really interesting because they've talked a lot when he's played this year about how he struggles with his short wedges. Um, but if he were to ever find those, I mean, it's game over. And that's the worry is that you have one or two guys who just become so good at those at, on the greens and with those wet shots. And it's just such an advantage. Um, and then even, even person the shamble. And this is the thing I mean, bifurc- bifurcation. I think the problem is not that. I think it's the PJ tour. Because, I mean, I know it's very talked about, but, like, DeChambeau, he never refuses to pull out a driver. He, he's so confident that he can, you know, and I understand Wingfoot is an extreme setup. But for the most part, on he thinks he can just hack the ball out of the rough anywhere it goes. So, I mean, even in, like, the U.S. Open, for example, I mean, in the uh, PGA, where the setup was still fairly tough. I mean, he was missing lots of fairways and he could just, so I, yeah, I, I just think that um, it just gives such an, like players that don't hit long, they have such a, a narrow margin for error. Like you look at like, and you know, a lot of people will talk about Morikawa in the comparison to Jordan Speed. Well, Morikawa, I mean, now Speed was an extreme example where he kind of lost his whole like tee to green game, but if Morikawa were to ever either stop hitting fairways or not be an elite iron player, then he'd struggle. So that's that's the problem. Is your margin for error so slim? That's that's the problem. I heard Mike Davis. He was on the Golf Channel, and he said uh, 
that they because of the pandemic they held off they were they were going to release a distance report now they're supposed to release it next march so when they release that i'm sure we'll see what happens yeah i also just realized i've been on mute for a little bit so uh whether or not the stream (laughs) just picked up part of that i'm going to edit this out of the podcast but um i'll find a place for it but what we're saying effectively is that bifurcation yeah not necessarily on the table right now but we'll see we'll see in a few years um so before before we kind of take off for the evening willie this is the segment of the show that you and i both love the most your wacky wildest hottest take out of nowhere what's your hot take you go first i mean honestly this i think i've already given my hot take okay um and it's my brother has said I'm the only one with this take and I will stand by this take because I had to watch the Atlanta Falcons play football on Sunday, or at least watch highlights of them attempt to play football on Sunday. Obviously Seattle's a very good team, but the Falcons are, they should be, that's a measuring stick for how good they should be. And for a team that obviously choked on the biggest stage of all time in the biggest possible way, uh, needs to get back to that. So here's my take. Um, Matt Ryan is, not gonna. Matt Ryan is never gonna win a Super Bowl with the Atlanta Falcons. He's not take? the guy. That's it. Is that, a hot, is that a hot take? It's supposed. It's supposed to be a hot take. I mean, I talked about my other take, which is basically the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia are never gonna win a sports championship ever in any other any of their teams. I mean, obviously the Georgia won the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago, but that I mean that's that's a bowl game that's different from the national championship. That it's not. You are the best at your sport in your division it's more so you're very good and there's a difference between being very good and being the best and you obviously want to be the best and atlanta will never be the best georgia will never be the best we are cursed i promise you we are cursed wow that is my take and it is the hardest thing in the world collectively to be an atlanta sports fan as far as as far as sports fan goes uh, in the u.s wow that's my take and i'm sticking to it Find me, text me, call me, tell me I'm wrong to my face. I don't care. I am not going to back down from this take. I will never back down from this take. That's all I got. Yeah, I'm all right. I mean, yeah, they got some good offensive players um, on that team, but I agree that uh, they're, you know, not looking. I, I would agree. It doesn't look good for the future of Matt Ryan, at least the future on the Falcons. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. it's not fun. It's not good. It's not going to be Matt Ryan. Julio Jones deserves better. I'm sorry, Julio. You should be an NFL champion, but I don't think you are going to be because he's too loyal to Atlanta. But okay. I, I mean, I guess. I don't know what the truth is, but that's that's my take on Atlanta sports. I think the less we talk about that, the better. I'm keeping my blood pressure down. <laughs> but it is what it is. All right, Willie, what do you got before we, uh, before we let the people carry right. on as they were? All right. So I got, uh, yeah, I got a couple. All right, so um, he's a little far back, but I'm pick. I mean, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I'm picking Ricky Fowler to break the curse. Ricky Fowler, I like yeah. it. I like the pick. I like Ricky. I like Ricky. You know, they talk a lot about his his um, his putting stroke and how well it works on these greens, and he's he's so consistent through the back, and he hits. You know, he's got everything. And I just think he he's going to break the curse, man. I mean, some people think he never will, but I think this is the week. People have- said the same thing about Sergio. So it it could yeah. very well happen. I mean, 
Like people said the same thing about Justin Rose for a while. They said the same thing about Sergio for a while. Yep. Um, there are players, they're very, very good players who have never won a major. I can think of three Englishmen off the top of the head. I don't know if there's, there's definitely not correlation or causation, but Paul Casey, Lee Westwood, and Luke Donald, all three of them, terrific players. Oh, never won. Yeah, never won majors. All three of them. My dad yeah. has picked Paul Casey on multiple occasions, I think. Uh, and both of those times he came up short. That's cool. I thought he was gonna. I thought he had a really good chance uh, this past at PGA. Yeah, no, he did. He did. But it's golf is hard. It's hard to win on the PGA Tour. It's hard to win a major. So, uh, you know, what I don't. Is, I don't hate the pick. Let me ask you: What do you think it is about golf specifically about why why some guys that are so good have such a hard time? Uh, do you think it's more physical or mental? It's it's both. Okay. It's both. Some some guys just have a great understanding. Um, I think I think the term is uh, proprioception. It's the understanding of where your limbs are in relation to the rest of your body. Some guys, some people just have a better understanding of that than others. And it's I don't know if it's something you can teach. You can try to groove it so you understand what kind of triggers are. But it's just it's such a hard thing because you're you're hitting a tiny little ball with a piece of metal that's kind of that's angled upward slightly. And you don't really know it, it's, it's physics, it's spin, it's a lot of different factors, and it's a game of literally inches. I, I have no idea, honestly. Well, yeah, it's no, just it's, 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 it's a toss up. It's physical, it's mental, it's luck as well. That's a big one. Oh, it definitely is, yeah. Okay. Um, all right, I got two more. All right, what do you got? All right, this one is extreme, bro. All right. This may be one of the dumbest things I've ever said. I mean, you said Crystal Palace were going to be a dark horse a couple years ago, and they almost got relegated after eight games. I'm never going to let you live that one down, even if they win the league one day. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Okay, all right. The second one, um, this is a really extreme take, bro. All right, what do you got? The end of Alabama football is near. The end. Hmm. I like that take. As in? I I like that take. As in? Nick Saban is 68 years old. Um, George, you know, Kirby Smart got many years on him. Florida's really good. I know they're in a different division. Auburn is consistently now in the title in 15 years. Um, I think that Alabama only has two or three more years at the top. Mm. I and that's I do, I do enjoy the take as someone who has watched his team get humiliated by Alabama on multiple occasions. Um, <laughs> I like the take. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I like the take. You do? Okay. I, I like it, but I don't, I don't know if I agree with it. Why don't you agree with it? <laughs> because they've won like 17 national titles and they're going to keep winning national titles regardless of who's in charge. Obviously, they're, they're enjoying unprecedented success under Saban, but... There's gonna be another. There's gonna be another Nick Saban. There's gonna be another coach who has that. They, they could really drop off, like Michigan, for example. Mm-hmm. Michigan, like, really I, good. I, no, I have to disagree. I think they're they're not gonna drop off like other schools. SEC SEC football is too much of a of a religion in the South for that to ever happen. It's a religion. Okay. It's not just. It's it's as big as as going to churches. I promise you. That's how big it is in the South, and you know people who want to challenge me on that i grew up there i know exactly what it's like it's it's religion that's all it is wow okay all i gotta say is go dogs go dogs okay all right what's your what's your final take this is um 
All right. So, you know, I've I've been thinking a lot about the different soccer leagues and about the different like takes, mm-hmm. and and like just like different teams and different leagues and stuff. But um, I thought about it, and I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, I was thinking about. I mean, it wouldn't be a hot take. But I don't think you know. I don't think Juventus is going to win the Serie A title. But what I actually am going to say, no, I, I think Inter Milan uh, is going to win. They're better. But what I am going to say, that's a separate take because mm-hmm. I do really like the Serie A. Right. Um, I think that under Ancelotti, Everton are going to finish in the top four. In in his reign in Everton, I'm not saying this year. Not this year. in his reign in Everton. Shout out to all the soccer listeners, Everton. I hate to say it. I've seen enough after one game to say that they're going to uh, finish in the top four <laughs> for, at some point. So Maybe. Do, do okay. Offer... Why, okay. Here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then in the next couple years. No, all I was going to say, I was, wow. was going to say due to unforeseen circumstances, hot takes only has been canceled effective immediately. <laughs> Just canceled. Cancel the show. It's over. It's over. We're done. No, I, uh, unfortunately, they did look. They looked like a solid team. Carlo Ancelotti is a world class manager. He's won everywhere he's been. I'd argue he's better than Pep Guardiola. He hasn't wow. had the same. He hasn't had the same resources or the same luck uh, managing the teams he has. Uh, for me, for my money, but I, I, I hate. I hate to think that Everton are going to finish in the top four, let alone above Liverpool. I would hate that again. That, Cause that, that happened pretty recently. And it was, it was rough when Everton finishes above Liverpool. It's, it's rough. I think it was, it, it may not have happened recently, but it was close. So here's uh, the thing. Here's the thing about, let me, I'm going to make an argument for why this is actually semi-rational. All right. What do you got? Okay. So right now, the Premier League is scary good at the, in the top half of the mm-hmm. table. Yeah. I mean, it's the money in the league is insane, but you look at the you look at the teams, and the only two teams who I really think are on an upward trajectory and will be for really the next like considerable future are Arsenal and Chelsea in the top half. Yeah, but Liverpool probably got another few years of Klopp. Mm-hmm. You know, Man City probably got a couple years of Guardiola. I don't think Wolves can. I think eventually they'll lose some players. They're going to lose uh, Nuno too. Nuno's not going to stay at Wolves forever. He did sign. You're right. He signed. I think he signed an extension. But I'm sure in the next year or two he's going to get a lot of offers. Yep. Um, I mean, Spurs are thing. They're completely in flux. Um, Leicester. I mean, I'm sure some of their players will get plucked too. Yeah. So Everton have the financial resources to look. They they just haven't been good, but they have the money. Their mm-hmm. owners have the money. And and so if they're willing to spend, and the biggest question is if Ancelotti is willing to stay. But if he's willing to stay, I mean, you know, he already, you know, he allured Alan and, and Alves Rodriguez, who he coached in the past. And I mean, they just get a couple more signings. That team has a good look to it. So, yeah, here, hey, there you go. Yeah, um, I I really hate that take, Willie. I really hate that take so much. But I honestly can't disagree with it. I honestly, I as as much as I want to see them get relegated, I just I have to agree with you. They looked 
I mean, they, they played Tottenham, who are definitely not playing their best. Um, but they looked they looked like they are going to be probably one of the most annoying teams to play in the Premier League. And I think there are very few teams who are going to who are going to be able to get through what is a frustrating Everton team to play, uh, especially when they play against Liverpool and just decide not to play football at all. They just kind of sit back and defend and let Liverpool do what they want and barely attack at all. Um, that's what they did earlier on the se- uh, earlier on or later in last season uh, in the beginning of Project Restart, uh, and that's what they continue to do because they're uh, a small mentality football, small club mentality. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I yeah. just, but I, yeah, I, I hate the take so much. You know, I really do, but I can't, I can't find it in me to disagree with that because you, there's a lot of really good, there's a lot of okay uh, positive reason for positivity for Everton fans. That's a good question for you, actually, real question. Yeah. In ten years, when we're in our mid thirties, which Merseyside team is going to be better? Liverpool. Why are you going to ask me that question? Was Klopp? Yeah. Okay. Without Klopp, they're still going to be. There's still there's two there's two teams in Liverpool. In the words of Bill Shankly, Liverpool and Liverpool reserves. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So, I don't know. We can I look back on this. We could look back on this, and I could be wrong, but i I have to ride with my I have to ride with my team. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm wrong a lot of times. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, also, my Padres take, and that was kind of yeah. I I like the Padres take today. That was that was a good one. Who you pick? Who you pick for the World Series? Yankees. Oh yeah, you did say the yeah. I I hate to say it, but it, I think I think they're gonna do it this year. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong about the Braves too. I hope I'm wrong about Atlanta sports. I probably won't be because I've seen this movie over and over. Well, I'd, and rather, over I'd much again. rather Everton finish in the top four than the Yankees in the World Series. I don't want the. Mm, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. In the past, it would be Yankees for sure because I wasn't really a big as big of a football fan. But that's. That's a tough one. I hate that. I hate that. That's a really good question or a really good uh, proposition. Yeah, but that is, that's, that's one tough. to ruminate on. Um, yep. I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up for for this episode. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Twitch.tv/slash Boba Poppy at 9 p.m. Pacific time for the live stream of the recording, uh, and you can catch it the next day at about 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, on Anchor FM and on Spotify, regardless of where you get your podcast from, you can get this podcast. I'm still working on the distribution for Apple Podcasts. I don't remember for sure if this one if this one got cleared for Apple or not, uh, but it will be distributed in some form on one of your uh, readily available uh, music streaming services. So something to look forward to. Um, and I want to thank you all for, for tuning in. If you have joined us on the, on the live stream, really appreciate it. And we'd love to have a more interactive part of the show. So feel free to send us questions in real time and we'll do our best to answer them on the show, uh, either at while we're going through some stuff we're talking about uh, or later on. Uh, so we'll see you next week uh, right here at twitch.tv slash Boba Poppy, my Twitch channel. Uh, and you can catch us both uh, on the podcast very next day. Willie, any final thoughts before we get out of here? I hope the wind didn't Me too, man. Yeah, me too. Cool. All right, folks. Well, that does it for us. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place.